It's a show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. Get a little laughter and an interview too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD uh, detective sergeant. And with me tonight, and on most nights, is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective Phil Grimaldi. What's up, Phil? Not too much, Billy. I'm interested to see how they do things across the pond. (laughs) Well, you know, we brought specifically someone from across the pond and, I wish uh, you had brought me across the pond. I could have done with it. Yeah, that's right. We, well, we're bringing you via <laughs> via Streamyard. We couldn't afford to fly you over here. Maybe maybe one day when yeah, one police day off the cuff blows up, we'll fly our guests over here. You know, we'll take you out drinking and stuff like that. You know, because I'm, brilliant. I'm sure I'm sure you're no stranger to the pint, right? No, I'm no stranger to the pubs in New York as well. In Meatpackers oh, District, that's... I've had a few drinks right there in the pub. <laughs> that's that's excellent. So a lot of people looking forward to this. You know, it's uh, folks, uh, how rude of me. Tonight, our guest is Stephen Keogh. He's a retired 30-year veteran of Scotland Yard. And in, in, uh, in Britain, they call them inspectors. We call them detectives. You guys are inspectors. An inspector on our, our job is a very high ranking. You got It's, it's um, a police officer, sergeant, lieutenant, captain, Deputy Inspector, Inspector. So All right, it's a yeah. it's a big boss, though. It's you know more of a administrative job. But uh, I think I'm probably I would have been equivalent to a, a lieutenant. I think so. It's oh, okay. So you do have Sergeant Inspector. And did, did were you responsible for the supervision of others? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you so, are? okay. So it's, it's the third rank. So you start off at constable, then sergeant, and then and then inspector. So yeah. Oh, okay. Because see, on on the NYPD, uh, anyone a sergeant and above, you're considered what a boss. And people yeah. on the NYPD, yeah. they, they'll even refer to you as boss, which I never was very comfortable with when people say yeah. boss. It's different you know, for I, us. If you're a sergeant, they call you sarge or skipper. Sarge. And then when you're an inspector above, then it's uh, boss, governor, whatever, whatever. I used to demand young early in my career that they call me supreme commander. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that went over big. <laughs> well, they liked it because it was funny, you know. They were like, yeah. they would go over the radio, Supreme Commander, you on the oh, air, that, you know. That was your handle on the radio. Yeah, no, it was funny, you know. You have to have a sense of humor in this business. Oh, yeah, know? definitely, 100%. Yeah. You know, and, and you know something, that's why I knew, like, when we invited you on the show, there would be no introduction. Cops are the same all over the damn world. We all know each other. We all have the same feelings. We all have the same intuition, and we all have the same macabre sense of humor because that's yeah. what you need to survive, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've dealt with some horrible things in my time, and um, 
it's that camaraderie and I always, I always describe it as like if if someone was to see what you were laughing at at that time it would be really awkward um and you're not doing it out of malice there's no there's no there's, there's no hidden agenda there it's just it's how you get through um you, you're dealing with some horrible sights and if you didn't have that it, it would be 10 15 times harder you know it? steve i, I want to get something over with go on here we go <laughs> I want to get this over with my British Bobby helmet. It's not fitting too well. But I think you need a bigger I, hat. I told you the story earlier, but I had to show it. And uh, there, my, there goes the badge fell right off it. Well, one of yeah. my, I'll tell the story to the audience. Years ago when I was an anti-crime sergeant, one of my cops was a boxer and he fought for the PBA boxing team. And he went to London to fight the Bobbies, him and the, the PBA boxing team. And, you know, th those guys, they used to have a ball because they would go to England, they would go to Ireland, and the Bobbies would come to the U.S., and the Irish guys would come to the U.S. And, you know, really, it wasn't a boxing club. It was a drinking society. But they, <laughs> they masqueraded behind being boxers. Uh, in fact, Joe Murray, a good friend of ours who's an attorney, he was on the boxing team. He was a heavyweight. I tried, I always try to ask him how he did against the Bobbies. He won't talk. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything to say about it. I think not talking is speaking volumes. Well, that's when he takes his own advice that he gives his clients. You have the right to yeah. remain silent. You know? yeah, yeah. He doesn't want to talk about how he did against the Bobbies. I know he's going to pop up someone and go, hey, Bill, stop telling stories about me. <laughs> anyway, you know, maybe we should get into like actual law enforcement and what we're talking about. And yeah, one of the things, uh, Steve, you you were a homicide investigator, and not just homicide, major crimes. Because mm. I would, I mean, as as a country, how many how many murders do you think you get in a whole year in 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 Great Britain? Um, so I can only go off the year to 20, 2020. I think it was six hundred and fifty in the country, in the entire country. Okay. Yeah, and in London, yeah. we had about one hundred and forty of them. I think. So yeah, and, and London is probably quite low figures, aren't they, compared to the states? Well, you know, Chicago and some of the big cities are, are now are getting five, six hundred a year. Just oh, cities, mad. yeah, it that's is crazy. Bad. Yeah. But it's you know, crime is up. Murder specifically is up thirty percent since uh, you know since Biden took over. Well, <laughs> I don't want to blame it on him. I don't want to blame it on him, but. <laughs> Well, it is very political. It, it is very political. And you know something I love? I spoke one time to a another sergeant who was a radio show. I won't say his name. And I started talking about things. So he goes, I don't want to get political. I said, dude, let's not talk about police work. You cannot avoid politics and talk about police work. Impossible. <laughs> do you mind if I, I, I do? Think, I think they go <laughs> hand in hand, Bill. I mean, especially in the NYPD. Uh, anytime you have a high-profile case, you know that there's always uh, – you know, different uh, things, intuition, I call it, from City Hall and from upper management, the NYPD, you know, to uh, on how to how to handle the case. Instead of leaving it to the detectives to detect, they always want to put their two cents in. And uh, a lot of times we would just say, yeah, yeah, we're doing that. We're doing that. And we would do what we were doing originally, you know. But, uh, yeah, politics definitely plays a part. Same thing for you, Steve. Does politics no. come into No, you saying that, Phil. We don't. Um the only time this happened, so in the last last year, uh, a police officer got shot in. It, it was a really sad case. So uh, he was a custody sergeant. So when the prisoners come in, he booked them in. And someone got arrested. and They didn't search them properly. And what ended up with the, the police of the sergeant got shot. Um, and the 
th that's the only case I can say, hand on heart, I dealt with where I felt that people were interfering up from up top. They, they, I, yeah, we don't. They just leave us alone. We don't. We don't. I th we've probably got a different structure. Um, the politicians have nothing to do with our investigations. They don't get anywhere close to them. Um, the only people that would stick their oar in sometimes would be senior officers. But that, again, that was only like this one because every, it was a police officer got shot, so everybody wanted to, sure, to put sure. their oar in. You, you um, can but, understand that if it's a cop getting shot. But uh, Billy will probably be able to tell you. I mean, he worked in Manhattan for a lot of years. Um, you know, God forbid a tourist gets injured or you know during a robbery or shot and killed or something like that. That's high profile to us, and they're always uh, you know what's going on with the case. They want updates. Right. And then uh, before you know it, somebody from the chief of detectives office is telling you, you know, go do this and go do that. Right, Bill? Wouldn't you? Well, yeah. And it's also, there's politics according to the geographic area where the murder occurs. For example, if something happens in Central Park, it's like bring in the National Guard, aviation, <laughs> canine, mounted, you know, uh, emergency service. Right. They, they want to show a force. Same thing in the Upper East Side, that area from 59th Street to 96th Street, from 5th to the river. It's the one of the wealthiest neighborhoods. And, you know, people would like to say in the police business that all murders get treated the same way. And that's that's bullshit. You know, right. uh, if a murder happens in one of those wealthy areas uh, and, you know, probably people, if they're listening to this at 1PP, they're probably cringing right now. Who is this guy? <laughs> well, he retired 10 years ago. We can't lay a glove on. Are you right. sure he's retired? Yeah, you sure he's retired? <laughs> we want to get him, you know? But uh, no, it, the truth is, is that, uh, look, New York City is the media capital of the world, too. So when it happens in these areas, uh, the areas I suggested, Central Park, uh, the Upper East Side, the Upper West Side, uh, certain areas downtown, even Midtown. You know, uh, Manhattan is the gold standard of New York City. And when things happen there, the press is all over it. And they pour gasoline on a fire and they print stuff, whether it's true or not. If they don't have the facts, they'll make it up, you know. Mm. <laughs> you know what, Billy? There's another component to that, too. I agree with you 100%. A lot of stories are media-driven. Uh, if they could catch, you know, a little... Uh, uh, if it starts to grow legs, the story and it's it's popular in in the in the news cycle, they can push it out there and they can drive a lot of attention toward it and then towards it and then eventually the politicians start to put pressure on the police department and then the police commission or the chief of detectives is putting pressure on the detectives. But also the, uh, another part of it is the uh, uh, you know the different people that pull the uh, the purse strings on the politicians. You know, there's different groups in the city that. You know, they'll uh, they'll throw a lot of money when a, a politician is running for election and they know how to get uh, the attention of the police department. And I'm sure uh, I'm not going to mention what particular group, but there's there's a couple of groups in New York City that uh, will will pull the strings of the uh, the mayor's office and the police commissioner's office like that. And all of a sudden, you know, it could be a broken window on a store and they got a fixed post in front of it, you know, Broken window is not really a big deal, so to speak. But uh, if it's the right political uh, background of the person that owns that store, uh, there's a fixed post in front of it. Right. We don't get any of that. I've got to be honest. Everything you're saying to me, um, I've never seen in my 30 years. Uh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. I feel, quite, I feel quite lucky. All right, Steve, let me, let me run a scenario by you, all right? Go on. Uh, there's, a, there's a murder in someone's flat. And I use that word flat because I know it's a British <laughs> term. It's a, and it's it's a female and she's stabbed to death. 
Hmm. Tell me, all right, you get you get to call. How do you how do you first of all, how do you get notified of that? All right. So we probably work slightly different to you. So we work in teams. And in London, there are 20 murder teams. And each team will consist of a, a detective chief inspector, two detective inspectors, four detective sergeants, and about 16 to 18 detective constables. And every every day, there are three of those calls teams on call um, covering different parts of London. And so the uniform turn up and they put a call in and then we'll get a call from like, the, I thought you would call it dispatch. We've got, we've got a unit, uh, a, a control room would call us. We'd send a car down initially be uh, a DS and two DCs. Um, and then the, the, we'd start the investigation that way. And then we investigate as a whole team. Um, so you, every, every murder would have 25 detectives on it. Um, and each detective would have a, a separate role within it. So if you've got uh, CCTV, forensics, um, witnesses, we've got family liaison officers. I don't know if you have family liaisons there. They get embedded with the family. And each detective would, ha would have a, a particular role within the job. Um, and then every day we're having meetings and bringing it all together. So that's probably slightly different, is it, to how you... No, it, it's but... somewhat similar. Like you said, a family like liaison, we have people called community affairs, that are cops that don't want to do anything. They wear, these, as, light, as they wear these light blue jackets <laughs> and they get promoted to great, you know. <laughs> no, our family liaison officers are actually detectives within the team. And they, they form, they're actually a really important role uh -huh. um, because how much information do families have? So our detectives are going in there and part of their job isn't just to tell the family what's going to happen. That's part of it. But it's also to get the information from the family. And you can imagine on some investigations where potentially, I mean, we're talking about Summer Wells' case, where potentially you've got suspects within the family, having a detective in there with them all the time, it can be crucial and it can be the difference between solving a case or not. So uh, I, I know what you're saying, but for, but it is, it is a detective role as opposed to like a, you know, that sort of go on and put an arm around someone and it's, it's not that sort of thing. They're in there investigating. See, Steve, the difference of what you're describing, we sort of have a, a, a same kind of thing, but the case detective would be the one that deals with the family, right. totally deals with the family. And we respond also as teams. And like my job in homicide, if I was the, the ranking investigator on the scene, I would run the investigation and en route to the, the scene if, if the body went to the hospital, I would send detectives to the hospital. I would send detectives to the crime right. scene. I would send detectives to the building to do a canvas. Uh, if we had um, information that the perpetrator fled somewhere and we knew who he was, I would send detectives en route to where he probably was. So right. it was yeah. all, you know, we would do all this communication en route to the scene. And most of the time, I would just, well, I would say, well, we, we got a lot of shooting murders. So most of the time, the body was in the hospital, whether right. it was alive or dead. So the hospital became such an important scene, always an important scene. And uh, sending detectives, I, I always had a, a guy who always wanted to go to the hospital. And the reason being, because he didn't want to do shit. And I used to say, no, you're not going to the hospital. I, I thought you were going to say his girlfriend worked there. No, no, no. It's, 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 because, it's because, and then he wouldn't even do, he wouldn't even do a DD five for his response there. 
you know? So I knew his whole act. I go, no, no, you go somewhere else, you know? Yeah. His whole act, you know. You're cramping his style, Bill. Yeah, look, I'm such a cynical. I, I put down community affairs, the guy who always wants to go to the hospital. But look, the response to the scene of a homicide is so damn important. Yeah. We call and, it the golden hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So it's it's where most evidence is abundantly available. Um I, I always equate um, when you when you think of murder investigations, it's the same as anything in, in anything in life. The foundations you lay, that very start of an investigation, is going to have a massive impact on whether how successful you are. And it's like if you build a house, if you build a house and you don't put good foundations, it's going to fall down. If you start an investigation and you don't get that first part wrong, the crime scene, the first hours, the chances of you solving it are going to be really impacted. So yeah, it's. It's huge. That first part of the investigation is huge. Well, you know, Steve, one of the things that no detective wants to do, and it's really important, is building canvases. You know, that's like... Uh, we call it house to house. Yeah, House to house. Yeah, we call it a canvas. Yeah. And it's very involved. And if you get the wrong people doing that, again, you got to get people that aren't going to say negative results because you should never <laughs> write negative results after yeah. you spoke to someone. I spoke to so-and-so. And this is who I spoke to at such and such time. And they said they did not see anything or hear anything. You know, that's important. Where if right. you just put negative results, that's the lazy man's way of, uh, you know, because later yeah. on that person could say, I didn't say that. I told the yeah. detective this, this, and this. Well, he wrote negative results. Then you need to send him for retraining, you know. Yeah. Because well, it's one of those jobs that no one wants, isn't it? Because it's not it's oh, not the sexiest part, is it? No, right, right. Be, doing a building canvas, you get, you're going to be waking people up out of bed. They're going to be showing up in nasty outfits, you know, to the door, you know, <laughs> bad breath, <laughs> yeah, bad breath, you know, coming out of bed, and and it, it, they're not going to be happy to be uh, woken up. But a canvas is a very important thing to do, you know, mm. as you know. Yeah, yeah, canvases. Yeah. When I worked in the six O squad, we had a lot of high rise buildings, you know, twenty floors and stuff, and. Uh, I wouldn't be caught dead in one of these buildings without having two guns on me. That's how dangerous they were. So, you know, in, in the projects in Coney Island, two guys went on a canvas. You didn't do it by yourself. You stayed on the floor together. And again, it was uh, like Billy said, you know, the stairways are filled with piss and urine and feces and God knows what else. The elevators, most of the time, they weren't even working. So you were dealing with uh, a shitty atmosphere, a shitty element. And uh, yeah, you're 100% right, Bill. Nobody wanted to do that. But again, it, it's real important because you knock on the right door and you might be knocking on the door that solves the whole case. So we took them seriously. I mean, sometimes, you know, you went to a door and the person was, I don't know, intoxicated or, you know, just you knew that they weren't going to supply any uh, relative information you know, we would either write no, no response, meaning that they weren't home or, you know, or the person had nothing to add, didn't hear or see or hear anything like Billy said, you know, but uh, one of the other things I was going to ask, like you were talking about how you have a, uh, would you, would you call it a uh, community, a family liaison person is assigned? Family liaison. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of times that would be whoever's assigned to the case. Now in, in teams, we would go out in teams and uh, it would go like chance of peace and it would just go around. And whoever the case detective was, as Billy stated, would probably be the person would have the most contact that, that detective and, and probably the partner would have the most contact with the family. But sometimes a dynamic didn't work out in a case I can recall where uh, a guy who was in my team, he was having a little bit of an issue with the family. 
And I said, let me handle them, you know? And I just, I started a report with, it was a young 19 year old kid that was killed. He was on college break and he was killed for no reason. It was really, really sad case. It took us about a year. We knew who the guy was right away, but it took us about a year to get him. And uh, we actually wound up on America's most wanted with that case. And um, so, uh, yeah, uh, he just, he lost touch with the family a little bit. They were kind of, they, they were, you know, they were upset. They lost their 19 year old son. So I jumped in and I became the liaison with the family for, uh, you know, maybe three or four, uh, three or four weeks or so. And then uh, eventually we wound up catching up with the guy and putting him behind bars. So mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, that, that would be how we would handle that. Uh, Billy was talking about the community affairs. They're pretty, you know, like, like he was saying, they're not always the, the, the pistol Pete firecracker <laughs> cops that want to, you know, jump, jump out and do everything, but they do have a, a good uh, rapport with the community. A lot of times they can listen, they've given some information sometimes that they've gotten through sources. So uh, I guess they have their place in the whole thing, but uh, I guess that was interesting. And you called him like a detective constable or a detective sergeant. So there's no actual detective rank. Am I right on that, Steve? Yeah. So our ranks are constable, sergeant, inspector, chief inspector, and then it gets into superintendent, chief superintendent. And that's the same for detectives and, and uniform. And right. once you become a detective, you just put a D in front. So you're a detective constable, detective right. sergeant, detective inspector. Right. Um, but there is no rank of detective on its own, no. On our job, it's a lateral rank where uh, when you're a police officer, you're sworn as a police officer. If you want to become a detective, you start to go into investigation. You're appointed detective, detective, but sergeant, lieutenant, captain. And then once you go above captain, it's all appointments as well. Right. But, uh, so, but, but detectives, sometimes there, there's specialists that we have in the NYPD, like emergency service guys, the guys that do uh, all the, you know, they carry the heavy artillery. They'll go up on the bridge when a guy's going to jump and, you know, yeah. tie themselves up. And el stuff. El Elbow's mum. That sounds like that's a British turn, Elbow's mum. Thanks for joining our YouTube and being a family <laughs> member of uh, Police Off the Cuff. You know, folks, Thumbs if up. you want to watch uh, Police Off the Cuff real crime stories from the perspective of NYPD and see really sexy detectives from across the pond, then join, <laughs> then, then join our YouTube, you know, hit the, uh, subscribe to us, hit that bell, give us a thumbs up because we're going to keep bringing in people like Steve Keogh here and hear about what it's like to solve murders in, in, in uh, Great Britain. You know, it's not very much different than us. There's no. some differences, but you know, one of the things I wanted to get to Stephen, and to me, it's one of the most important things. And we solved more murders through, interview and, and interrogation than through any other means. And that includes, no, don't. <laughs> you don't, well, th that includes evidence that includes crime scene that includes forensic, talking to people solved more murders. And one of the things that we do, and it's, it's called, and I don't know if you call it the same thing. It's called victimology. And what that means? Oh, sorry, you talking about interviewing people, or not the suspects? You're talking about yes, interview. People. Yeah, but you know, an interview can turn into an interrogation. Turn into yeah, sorry, I thought I thought you. I'm talking about the, the the killers themselves, but you know, um, I, Steve, I'm going to bring on someone from Great Britain to be an interpreter between the New York guys and you. <laughs> I thought we'd be able to understand each other. We, we should we should have got all this ironed out. The difference in terminology before. Uh, that's right. We should have had a little glossary, you know. <laughs> Yeah, can I but just I say talking, Cup is one of, one of my mods. Um, so, yes, he's, he's brilliant. Um, Fuzzy Doxy, thanks you so much for the 999 Super Chat. 
Thanks again for always having the best shows and the most interesting people on it. That must be another. I <laughs> must be another fan of yours, uh, Steve. My I, God, I, I've, ne- I've, I've never met Fuzzy, but I, I like. You never, oh, oh, you yeah. never met. Fu- I said. I said. Did I say Fuzzy or Foxy? Fuzzy Doxy. It is Fuzzy Doxy. Fuzzy Doxy. I'm sorry. That's that's my eyes uh, playing tricks on me. Thank you so much for the super chat. But Steve, what I was talking about, and we're gonna at some point we're gonna segue into the Summer Wells case a little yeah. bit. And uh, then we'll all, I don't know if you're familiar with um, the Gabby Petito and the Brian Laundry case. We'll just, yeah. we'll touch upon that. We're not going to do a deep dive because we've done deep dives into that before. And I don't want to put you on the spot if you're not as familiar with it as we yeah. are. But one of the things that we always, um, and when I talk about victimology, what I'm referring to yeah. is the study of the background of the yeah. victim. Yeah. And we we, we the, use that same term. Yeah. I'm sure, and there's something called um, mind mapping, or it's uh, in, a, in a computer. It's called something different. Um, I forget Steve, what it's he's called. He's putting right? on his professor hat. He's yeah, my own, I, I was once a I was once a professor, but I got kicked out, and that's why I uh, I, I have this podcast <laughs> now. Uh, oh, it's called data mining. Data mining. And right, I've not what, heard what of that. that so. What that basically means, if I if I looked into your background. I would look into oh. a. I, I won't look into it. All he does is spend his time at the old sod pub, pub all day, <laughs> and he sniffed the bartender the last time he was there. <laughs> oh, in England you call them barmen. They're barmen in England, right? They're not yeah, called yeah, bartenders. Yeah, yeah. But, barmen, uh, yeah. Anyway, so what what that means is basically da- data mining or mind mapping is. Just looking into every aspect of the person's life, their work. Yeah, we've, we've got uh, we've got a saying in the UK: uh, to to know how someone died, you need to know how they lived. Um, and that, that sort of sums it you, up. You Brits put it such a cool way. I like that. <laughs> Short, and sweet, and simple, but right to the point. I That's like right. it. Yeah, we 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 have we have we don't waste words. <laughs> if we can get it in ten. We'll do it. We, we, we kind of do the same thing. We'll do, listen, a- anybody that we're targeting for, you know, being possibly a suspect in a murder, we're going to run their background, their criminal history. And then we use different uh, search engines now, uh, Faces of the Nation, and uh, there's a few other, uh, LexisNexis, and it gives you all the information on, you know, the person's history regarding, uh, you know, property that they own, licenses they have, all different things like that. And that kind of gives you one area of their background. And then once you yeah. talk, like Bill was saying, a lot of the cases that I worked on was solved by interview and interrogation. You build a rapport with them, you pick up on some body language. And then, you know, once you have a little history of who they are, where they were, you know, maybe you, you know a little bit more about them than they think, you know, and then they start to lie to you. And then you just drop the hammer and start hitting them with the facts. And, mm. you know, you're facing uh, 25 to life in jail and it might be in your best interest to help us. And, you know, that's how we usually get things rolling with with a, uh, a confession. You know, I think. Hey, Steve, do, do you have the equivalent of Miranda warnings? We have caution. So when you arrest someone, um, you say I'm arresting you for murder because. We've got information that you you killed Joe Bloggs. Um, and then we'll say, you do not have to say anything, but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something which you later rely on in court. And what's that essentially is saying, you don't have to say anything to me, um, but if you do, we may use it at court. Um, and if you don't say anything later on at court, they may wonder why you've not said anything. Um, 
And what, basically, what it all boils down to is when we interview people, they don't say anything. Um, so I was. So, if, I, I so mean, if, I, if I'm in a pub and and some guy says to me, no, "I'm going to read you," bit. I'm going to read you cautions. <laughs> I know. I'm just. I'm trying to be funny. I'm sorry. As a suspect. So yeah. our interviews, most of them. I mean, I can't put a figure on it, but it would be in the 90s percent. I would suggest when we interview people, they literally tell you nothing. They they right, they, right. they they normally just say every question you answer, no comment, no comment, no comment. Um, it's just, it's just a sad fact. So we, of, in my 12 years of investigating murder, I, I never, we never had one, never one person admit to murder on, on tape. Wow. Um, they would wow. admit to maybe carrying out the act and saying, well, I did it in self-defense, but no one said, yeah, I killed them. They just don't because they get the solicitors come in. Um, like you, we call them solicitors, you call them lawyers. And their first advice is say nothing um and they don't <laughs> well that's the same between uh across the pond and here the lawyers do the same thing here so that's that's 100 but yeah uh, let me ask you isn't the criminal justice system see now with, with with us we present all the evidence to the district attorney's office which is the prosecutor and from there we'll have the person you know once they're arrested if the district attorney's office they'll approve it they'll say okay there's enough evidence you have witnesses you have this you have that we're going to go ahead with the charges then yes. they'll pick up on the case they're going to now try the case yeah. in court now you guys it, it, you don't have a jury right you have uh you have a three-judge panel is that how that works no no no, no. it's what, what what you've just described is exactly the same as here we call okay. them the crown prosecution service cps exactly the same so we do all the evidence gathering um we, we arrest we, we we go to them with the evidence and they tell us whether to charge or not and they pick it up and they provide they they will um arrange for barristers to prosecute the case um it sounds exactly the same it does sound exactly the same how, how many people um, and then we have jurors we have jurors uh 12 people on a jury okay is same exactly the same uh, joke. Twelve. I don't know if you have twelve, but we have twelve people on jury. Yes, we have twelve, and there's usually uh, anywhere from two to six alternates in case somebody gets sick or they, they get bounced from the jury for specific. Right. Reason. Okay. We don't have them. Um, Joe Kane uh, from Finest Financial. Thank you so much for the ten dollars super chat. Joe Kane is a retired NYPD captain and a big benefactor of this show. Thank you, uh, Joe, for your contributions. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Joe helps. You know, uh, Stephen, I want to ask you something and. Uh, today, in the Summer Wells case, they had mm. about 120, 130 police personnel search an area that they weren't satisfied that was searched well enough yeah. uh, during the early uh, part of this investigation because yeah. the uh, vegetation was so thick and everything and hot. You know, it's hot. Now it's cleared up. Uh, the season's changing and everything. And they did a better search. I don't know if they have any new information that led them to do that search. But, you know, one of the things we looked into in this case was we were all very suspicious of uh, Candace and Don Wells. I'll just play a quick um, bit of their interview early on. By her swing, I feel in my heart that somebody has came up here and took her and has lured her away from here. Me and my mother and her were planting flowers. And we went in after we got done washing our hands and she got a piece of candy from grandma and she wanted to go back over and see her brothers. And I said, okay. And I walked her 
all the way over to the porch and I watched her walk into the kitchen where the boys were watching TV. And I told the boys, I said, watch summer. I'll be back. And within two minutes, I came back. And I asked the boys where their sister was. And they said, she went downstairs, mom, to play with her toys in the playroom. I said, okay. And I yelled downstairs for her a couple times. And I didn't get no answer, which was unusual because usually she always answers me. And so I went down there to check, and she was nowhere in sight. She was just gone. I don't go on walks around here or runs because I'm scared of the bears and snakes and even the coyotes that are around here. Well, whoever has my daughter, I pray and hope that they have not harmed her and they bring her back to us safe and sound. Just turn, I mean, go to the FBI, the police, and uh, clear it up. I mean, I don't know, it seems kind of elusive. It's really strange that I've never seen this truck, and I've never heard of it until just recently. But I wish they would come forward and explain themselves. I mean, if you're not... Steve, you know nothing else about the case, but you watched that interview. What are your thoughts? What 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 are your thoughts? Yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I I took a bit of a, a dive into this. Um, I, uh, the Grizzly Channel. I, I went on there with with um, Gisela, and we did a bit of um, hypothesizing. Um, so I, I I went on and and approached it as as we would investigate it from Scotland Yard. Um, and so what we use, we, we, we're probably exactly the same as you. I'm just probably just using different terminology. We, 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 we form hypotheses. So we look at potential um, scenarios that could have happened that then lead on to investigative um, uh, opportunities. So I looked at it and there were four, essentially. One, one was that she wandered off and um, had some sort of accident. One that she's come to harm within the family three that she was taken off by someone known to the family and four she was taken off by a complete stranger um i i, I having looked at it and and I, I mean i'm on the outside i've got no inside information i don't know what i don't know what's been going on but if it was if they had harmed her five months later surely they would have had some sort of evidence that she had come to harm within the house so I tended to go towards she's either been, she's been taken by someone they know or someone they don't know, and looking at everything and looking at that what worries you look for red flags, don't you? When you're investigating, you look for some red flags, and some red flags from this family are the domestic violence on both sides, and there's an undertone of um, sexual assaults with Don sexually assaulting his sister and stuff. So if if I was if I was a betting man and I'd put some money on what what had happened. It would be for me. It would be that someone's taken her, but it's someone known to the family. That's that's that would be my that would be my educated guess as a as an investigator. Now you know now we, with, uh, the fact of what Bill just said. Just looking at that interview, forgetting you know you you seem to know a lot about what went on. But if you looked at that interview, now you were you were just talking to those people for the first time. The girl is reported missing a short time ago. How would you, what would you feel about them? I think that's what I'm really looking to get at. Yeah, but I, I fully get that. I really do. Um, that for me would prompt me 
to want to look at them more. I don't think I would assume they've done it on the basis of that because um, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit wary where it comes to um, weary where, wary when it comes to trying to read people's um, body language when you don't know them very well because you can get it wrong. That for me would lead me on to right. I'm not happy. I would look into them. I don't think I would say they're guilty just on the back of it. I don't. I, I wouldn't. No. I don't. I don't jump to those conclusions. Um, but it certainly would make me want to look into them more. Hundred percent. Yeah. They've told quite a, a a tale of lies. I think throughout the whole thing as well. And I think you hit the four scenarios that I think Bill and I came up with too. You know, either she was harmed somewhere. You know, either before she got home or when she got home, something to that effect, or a stranger, someone known to her, or yeah. you know, she could have wandered off. The wandered off, I think, is almost zero because there was extensive no. searches done. Yeah. Now, the, the area that you were talking about that was searched today, Bill, was that close to the home or was that? Far uh, away no, I, no, I think that was further away from the home. It was, uh, yeah. you know, it was more like this huge, vast area that had such. Uh, dense vegetation that they thought they could maybe search it now that some of the vegetation yeah. had receded. They had a drone. You know, I, I, look, uh, Steve, I I don't like these two. I don't like Summer and and uh, I not excuse me, Summer. I don't not like summer, Candace yeah. and I don't like Don Wells. I yeah. think both of them are bad people. And I, I know a lot of people that watch uh, YouTube uh, channels. They don't like to hear us say that but I was a cop for 27 years and I know bad people when I see them. The, the husband's a jailbird. He's an alcoholic. He's a drug addict. She's a mess. She's a total mess. She's a drug mm. addict, has signs of being an alcoholic, has big time signs of mental illness. So, yeah. I mean, with all those things, I don't trust them with their kids. And that's why they took their three sons away from them too. And I'm if they, if they didn't do this, I think at least the mother, Candace, she knows who did. I really feel that with all my heart. And I look in my 27 years in the NYPD, we never used a lie detector test ever, ever did we use a lie detector. You know what our lie detector tests were? Good detectives. Yeah, that's what, what it was. Say. Yeah, you we know? don't have them in the UK. We don't have them. What's the point of them? What's the point of re they, they're not 100% reliable? They're 80% reliable. So, what is the point of giving someone a lie detector test if you can't trust it? It's I think it, I think it derails the investigation. 100%. It makes people think, "Oh, they passed." They, oh, it's uh, like it's a well, spelling bee. Oh, they passed. Yeah. You know? My experience I, with lie detectors in the NYPD, and my experience was, we used it uh, more on witnesses as opposed to perpetrators. Because the district attorney's office, a lot of times, you know, it was a drug murder, or you know, the person is involved in prostitution or whatever. So they wanted to make sure that they were telling the truth. Because a lot of times they could be, you know, maybe they had a problem with a pimp and they want to give them up for a murder now to get them out of their hair, you know? Mm. So a lot of times they would use, uh, they would use a lie detector to vet, vet witnesses. But again, Billy, I think you hit it right on the head. We very rarely, I don't, I can't, remember an exact time when we used a uh, a polygraph on an actual person that became a suspect. But, you know, there's one point I want to make to you, Steve. We had a guy on the show by the name of Dade Red Raider from Midwest EquiSearch, which they're a volunteer search team. And initially I thought they were just, you know, police buffs or whatever, but it turns out they were super professional. They're a great organization. They work on uh, donations and uh, volunteers. And he was actually on the scene at the Summerwell's home. He participated in some of the searches. So the stranger 
uh, coming onto the property. There was about 13 dogs on the property. I think that that's really not in the equation so much. I think yeah. it's obviously could be possible. I think it's got a very low amount of percentage as being the cause of Summerwell's disappearance. And even with a person known to them that would have snuck onto the property, it wasn't dark out. It was uh, early evening. It was 6.30 uh, p.m. when she was reported. So it happened a little before that. According to what they say, if they're being truthful, which uh, Bill and I have called into question a lot of things that they've mm. said as not being truthful. And in the early stages of this investigation, when we went on, we called for the other children to be removed. And lo and behold, within a week of us saying it on the air, they were, you know, uh, there was an interdiction by yeah. uh, Child Protective Services. They removed yeah. the other three children. So I'm, I'm sure you know that there's uh, the, the, the atmosphere in the home is not great. And I think that's why they probably removed the kids. So my feeling, and I think Bill is of the same feeling, uh, our target would be uh, Candace and Don to, to being responsible as to being responsible. What happened now? There was a, a comment by a young lady, Marilyn Minetta, and she asked twice about this. She obviously didn't see any of our earlier shows. She asked about, was there an accident at the so-called garden or did she die at the swimming hole? And she's asking if the police actually investigated that. I'm sure that they did. Um, there could have been an accident. We, we've put that as one of the scenarios of possibilities in this case, that mm. she either met with some type of an accident earlier in the day, and then they just covered it up. They didn't want any police looking at them for different reasons, maybe because of narcotic use, or there was pending litigation with the Child Protective Services. So to answer that question, yes, there was police uh, looking into both of those things. I don't think there was anything to it that they could put together to say there was an accident at the garden, which the garden is actually right outside the home. You know, it's a, it's a piece of land. There's a trailer where the mother lived, which is like 20 feet from where the, the actual home is. And then the swimming hole, I'm sure that they looked at that and nothing has been recovered at the swimming hole. So mm -hmm. to answer that for uh, Marilyn Mineta. You know, Steve, and granted, there's a lot that we as YouTube content creators don't know yeah. because we're not privy to the day-to-day -day investigation, the case folder, what they found out, interviews. They must have interviewed the three boys. They must have interviewed the grandmother. They yeah. must have interviewed all the people in the church. We're not privy to any of no. that. But every time Candace and Don get put on some TV show or something, you know, they, they, they give the same performance and, uh, you know, like they were on Dr. Phil, who is useless. I mean, I don't know why you would go on Dr. Phil. What you need to do is to, to listen to me, you know, like, why would you go on a dopey guy's show there with his $50,000 watch? He's giving you advice, you know, come on. I, think he's I ever found it was all a bit weird. Is this, I mean, I'm, I'm new to this. So I, I, I very, I'm very much only involved in British murders. I, I, I investigated them. If I was watching something on the news, it would be a British one. So this is all quite new to me. And I found the the way that the press have access to the family as bizarre. I've never seen it played out before. You, you, know, you know, something, God bless you, because just say we, we were like, there's there's been a few content creators here that were all over the family. And if I was running the investigation for the NYPD, and a content creator from YouTube stepped all over the case, I would go visit that guy. Absolutely. And he, yeah, I, I, he would I, I, never again speak to another principal on that case because 100%. he would be scared. Yeah, it was, it was, it was disgusting. Disgusting. 
I was I was discussing this with with Gisela. So if we go back to where we were talking about with the um, family liaison officers, part of their job would be protecting the family from from the press. And if they were to speak to them, it would be arranged through the police. The officer would be there, and if they don't like the line of questioning, they would go sorry, and they would take them away. It, it looks to me like they've just been. Now I, I was I was discussing this as whether this was a tactic. They've just thrown. It's like they've been thrown to the wolves, and they're just let, letting them run to see if they catch themselves out, if they say something and they can come again. If it's not, <laughs> I don't I don't understand. Well, you know what is Hawkins County Hawkins County Police Department. I mean, I'm sure they've never worked a case this big before. No. You know, and I don't mean I'm sure they've worked murders, I'm sure they've done, but a case that's blown up like this as yeah. an international missing person case. Well, that too, but I think they were intimidated by maybe saying something to some of these people that were crossing the line and speaking to principals in this case. I, As I said, if, if I was in New York City and someone, whether YouTube or someone else, was stepping on our case, you, you they, would hear, they would hear from me yeah, immediately. Mm. In person, I don't want to go off tangent. You know, um, but I've, I'm for my for my YouTube channel next next week. I'm doing something on the Delphi murders. And I don't want to go off tangent, but um, again, that, that's a that's a high profile murder being investigated. And the one of the first press conferences, they asked the sheriff, "When's the last homicide within this county?" And he didn't know. And have you ever investigated a double murder or a child murder? And the answer was no. And You'd, when's the last case from the NYPD that is on national news like this? And you, I do worry when I see these today. <laughs> it happens it, all the time. It yeah, happens but, all no, the... in terms of high profile. A year later, where you, when you're looking at it and you're questioning the investigation, right? Um, and I look at these counties, and I'm, I'm not having a pop at them, and I, I don't, I don't know what they're like. But you do, I, I worry that that this is all a bit much for them. Um, it is. And when you know, you see... Steve, I, I 100% agree with you. And also, like, people are under the misnomer that the FBI is all that. You know, you get the FBI from Tennessee. The guy's, you know, he's also got a straw hat on and he's got, <laughs> and he's wearing, and he's wearing sandals. You know, so, like, <laughs> it's like people give the, oh, my God, the FBI, the premier lord. The FBI couldn't shine the rack of a, of a New York City cop. I'm telling you that right now, you know. And as far as murder, if they would have came to Manhattan right. North, we'd be like, Let's go sit in the coffee room. We'll take yeah. care of this. They, they, they handle a lot of white-collar stuff, and they do handle some profile cases. But, again, on a day-to-day -day basis, the homicides that we investigated, and just to give you an idea, now, you in the early part of the show, you were saying how uh, different people would get assigned different things. When we went out on a homicide case, we would go out on them so frequently that we would all, we would go out like an army. We'd be a team of guys, and everybody knew like the main detective who was catching a case. He would stay with the main witness, and then other guys, you know, the, the sergeant would say, "All right, guys, go do a canvas in that building. Go go do a canvas in that building." And guys really didn't even have to be told a lot of times. Mm. Everybody knew their role, or they would just start doing stuff and say, "All right, I'm going to notify crime scene. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to get the. Uh, I'm going to go over to the hospital to do an interview." So, again. When you don't do it on a regular basis, 
they're getting hit with all of this at once. And if it's high yeah. profile, like Summer Welds or even Gabby Petito, that I don't think there was anything more high, high profile in, in the last five or ten years than that case. That was really a high profile. And, and it crossed yeah. it crossed jurisdictions. It crossed yes. different states. You know, it crossed. It started out on Long Island, Florida, uh, Moab in uh, Wyoming. So. Yeah, it, it, which means it crossed different FBI offices, different uh, police jurisdictions, and that always makes it more uh, complicated. Steve, can you hang on one second? I'm going to have Phil do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get right back. We definitely this is so interesting to me. It and really th- is th- that you're covering the Delphi case. I I'm familiar with it. Those two girls walking in the park, mm. and they were both murdered. I understand it's really a a tough tough case. That's so, a who done it for sure. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. Well, here we go, buddy. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702. Or you could email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. Good read, Phil. (laughs) <laughs> so steve yeah i mean a lot of these cases uh you're you're right it's just like we talk about uh, the system of of murder in this country like there's a coroner system and there's a medical examiner system mm. a coroner can just be an elected official with virtually almost no experience wow. in investigating murders and it, it should really be nationally required to have certain credentials to yeah. go to a homicide scene and there has to be, you know, in the, at the minimum, every single scene should be investigated somewhat the same way, you know? Yeah. So we, we've got that system here. So we, we call them pathologists, um, same job, but just, just different name. And they're a very small number that, and they're called home office approved pathologists. And they're the only ones that can get involved with homicides. And there's probably no more than about a dozen of them in the country. Um, the normal pathologists wouldn't be allowed to touch touch a murder. And see, and- Steve, what what we have is we have someone called a medical legal investigators, and right. they're they're required to be physicians' assistants, and they work for the medical examiner's office. Now they um, they cannot touch the body till after our crime scene unit is done collecting all the evidence, photographing yeah. all of that yeah. stuff, because or else yeah. they would write tamper with the scene. But once our crime scene unit, and that's also a very specific unit, and not all jurisdictions have that. We have guys that just do crime scene work, which is great because he could, you imagine Phil and I showing up to a crime scene. Oh, no, I got to do this. I got to do, you know. Uh, So we have people that are specifically trained and good at that stuff because you have to really have an affinity to to collect evidence, you know. So they do all of their work, and we don't have to worry about that. And we, of course, uh, talk with them before, we, we, from time right? To time we but we talk to them before and after yeah. the crime scene is processed. So mm. I would imagine you have something similar. Exactly uh, the same. What you what, what you what you're describing to me is exactly what we've got. Yeah, and and it has to be that way, doesn't it? Um, very I very important. Very maybe a hundred years ago, detectives might have taken fingerprints and stuff, but you can't. Yeah, with the you, you need an expert. Yeah, you need an expert. You need an expert. Yeah. And we tend to have forensic scientists. So within a, so in london we've got our own um uh, lab where we've got forensic scientists so for instance blood blood pattern analysis they will come out and do that work for us 
um, luminol, all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we've got, we've got. You know, that. Steve, there's so those guys that do blood stain pattern analysis. They got to be a little strange. <laughs> you know what I mean? I to want to do that, to go into like meat lockers and hit a big piece of meat with a bat to see where the spatter <laughs> shows up on the wall. And then they study it and they're like, hey. <laughs> yeah. I've got to be honest, though, the weirdest people I've ever come across are the mortuary, mortuary technicians, the ones that do the Oh, no, up no doubt. No doubt. That's, They're uh... scooping up some horrible stuff sometimes. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. We're very lucky in the NYPD that we have the crime scene unit because they're really, really good. There's a, a lot of detectives that are in that unit and they give get tremendous training. And a lot of times in different states, they have the state police will have crime scene units specifically trained. And I think that's what happened maybe in the, uh, in the Gabby Petito case, they had the state uh, police come in and they helped with the investigation when her body was found. So, uh, and, and a lot of times I think the FBI was involved in that. The FBI has a great crime lab, uh, yeah. probably the best in, in, in our country for sure. So uh, they're not, uh, they're probably not very good at doing interview and interrogation, but they do have the best crime. Lines, right? See, I, I don't want to, I don't want to drag this back to the Delphi case, uh, but one oh, of the I'm things I did, I did notice on that, so um, which I couldn't quite get my head around. So you had the sheriff's department, the city police, the state police, and the FBI. <laughs> you think, well, who's in charge? Uh, how, how do you? How do you run an investigation where you've got so many different people with different interests? Well, you know, you know, Steve, that becomes a problem. And for example, on December 7th, and I don't mean to segue to advertising for our show, but I am going to, <laughs> we have uh, a woman coming on named Michelle McPhee who wrote a book called Mayhem, and it's about the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm. And same thing there. Now, Boston Police Department is an extremely, extremely competent police department, much like you know, the NYPD, they're yeah. excellent. So the amount of headbanging between them and the FBI must have been off the charts. Yeah. Because, you know, really top-notch police departments don't play well for the most part with the FBI. And that goes right to the top. The big right. bosses, I'm sure the head chief or the Boston Police Commissioner was not taking it from, you know, Biff Donaldson, the uh, officer in charge. What do they call him, the sack? Yeah. Senior officer, senior officer in charge, a special agent in charge. I'm sure that they were not like, you know, uh, going home and having coffee together or having a drink at the end of the yeah. day, you know. So we, don't and, have, uh, we don't have anything equivalent to that. We don't have an FBI. Um, we don't have federal crimes. You don't, you don't have the MI6? MI6 are a military um, intelligence for abroad. MI5 are an intelligence in the UK, but they've got nothing to do with law enforcement. Um, so I, I spent some years on dealing with terrorists and we worked with MI5, but they provided us with the intelligence for us to go and do the work. Um, they would never get involved in the actual police work itself. So when we turn up to a murder, it's our murder. There's no one is going to come in and try and do it jointly with us. No one's going to try and take it over. We're not going to hand it on to anyone. Um, I, I, I like that clean <laughs> we know what we're doing this is why i can't get my head around four different units all involved in the same thing you How know if you work? steve if you look in new york city the amount of law enforcement agencies that work in new york city is beyond belief you know the dea the atf the fbi i mean there's so many federal marshals, agencies yeah. marshals nypd uh then they got the state police because cuomo you know was politically put the state police 
to make himself look good. Now he's not looking so good anyway. So, uh, by know, the way, CNN suspended his brother tonight. Did they really? Yeah. I just got it on my phone a little while ago. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I love that whole family to tell you the truth, yeah. you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if Steve uh, knows who we're talking about, but that's the, no governor of New York. <laughs> the governor of New York. Just, he, he was not good. He, he killed 15,000 people at the, uh, during the, uh, coronavirus outbreak. He took, uh, uh, elderly people and put them into nursing homes with COVID positive. And it just turned into a whole mess. Never would own up to it. And he just recently uh, stepped down, but his brother works for CNN and uh, they found out that he was helping him during the, uh, the criminal investigation that, that took place on his, uh, on his uh, shenanigans. And he was actually helping him. It was exposed in a, in a hearing. And uh, so they suspended him now, but, right. and, and Steve, they named the bridge after his father. And we didn't like that either. They named you, it. You know, the, the, I found out there's actually a petition to rename to take the naming away. It used to be the Tappan Zee Bridge, and yeah. uh, a Andrew Cuomo named it the Mario M. Cuomo Bridge. Never wow. asked anyone. Just named it after his father. Yeah, I think yeah. they should have named it after Ted Kennedy. The, can I reach the other side bridge? You know, I don't know. We would have Boris Johnson like, renaming London Bridge after his dad. Yeah, after it falls down, London Bridge is falling down. The same thing yeah. with the Tappan Z. You know, I want to. You know, we're almost at an hour. I want to get to something. I want to play a little bit of this and ask you. I just like. I guess my vibe is like I. I think like in a bad mood. I was just saying, I'm sorry if I'm in a bad mood. I've just been really stressed. I had so much work I was doing on my computer this morning. What did you do for a living? Um, well, I, I think it's for getting organic juice bar, but I just hit my job. Okay. I was a nutritionist. That's why oh, okay. that was my That's job. Cool. And I just um, hit my job to travel across the country, and I'm trying to start a blog. I okay. have a blog. So, so I've been building my website, so I've just been really stressed. And, well, you know what happened. I don't mm. have time to show the whole thing, but uh, mm. this, this case took on a whole new life after this day. Yeah. And this happened on August 12th. I believe her body was uh, discovered on August 27th, mm. which was 15 days after this alleged um, uh, domestic violence yeah. incident. A lot of people really wanted to uh, hang the Moab police, uh, even though when we watched it, they'd spent like 45 minutes to an hour uh, basically adjudicating or investigating uh, this case. And their determination after that amount of time was to arrest no one, to separate them and to send Brian Laundrie on his way and to send her on his, her on her way separately. Whether, they had made an arrest that, that day. If that would have saved her life or not, I I don't know. You don't uh, know. What, what what are your what are your thoughts? So in the UK, we have a positive arrest policy when it comes to domestic violence, um, and it's it doesn't necessarily mean someone's going to end up getting charged. But most cases where someone we're called to a domestic violence, someone's going to get arrested, um, and it, it's to prevent. <laughs> what happened is to prevent domestic murders and we learned the hard way um when i first joined the police in 91 unless unless we were arresting someone for it, it, it's particularly with it, women are being controlled in domestic violence situations generally and they find it very difficult to go to the police officer and say and be honest and say what the man has done because they they're being controlled 
Um, so you take that out of their hands rather rather than waiting to be told he's hit me, he's, he's done this over the time, whatever. You take that out of their hands. You take the generally it's going to be the man. Unfortunately, it's going to be the man that gets arrested, um, and and that then you're in a much stronger position once he's been taken away. You can talk to her where she doesn't feel that she's got the pressure of him looking at him, hearing hearing her, etc. Um, I would I would have thought in this country that I, I would imagine he would have got arrested. Well, you know we have something called the. Um... Uh, the primary aggressor and the police are uh, given the task of determining who the primary aggressor is or was. And that's the person that gets arrested in this incident. Mm. If you watch that incident, it appeared that she was the primary aggressor right, on that okay. scene because he had cuts to his face and she had cuts to his arm, but they, you know, and then, but then they also, which we weren't aware of at the time when we made our judgments of this, they had a call stating that someone saw him hit her. So that would have flipped the right. whole thing for us. Yeah, and, definitely. you know, in a situation like that, myself responding to the scene as a patrol supervisor, I may have arrested both of them. Yeah, it's definitely an option. But I don't think you can just walk away and sending them off in different directions is a bit, well, they're going to meet up again. And whatever's happened is going to carry on, isn't it? Yeah, um, they, they did a little bit more than that, Steve. What they did was they made uh, Gabby stood with the van because the van was registered in her name, and they made him go to a hotel overnight. Now, you brought up Geisler earlier. You did her show. She brought up a point that maybe somebody should have checked in on them the next day, which I thought was a an excellent point. But you're right. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they went off in different directions, but they met up again the next day, and 15 mm. days later, she was dead. But um, you know, what I would say cool. is, it's very easy sometimes to to sit and, and um, judge these situations. But all of all of us throughout our career, how many times have we been in a situation where we've made a decision? that could have gone completely wrong and then later on you look at it. So it, although I'm saying that in this country they've probably been arrested, it, you, it's very easy after the fact, isn't it, to point fingers sure. and say this could have happened. You know, that Steve, that is such a great point. You're right. You know, I, I, you as a boss, myself as a boss, I made thousands of decisions and without thinking twice. But And my policy pretty much was when I went to a domestic violence incident, if someone was hit or if they even crossed the line at all, someone was, was getting locked up because it was much yeah. easier for me to lock someone up and not have to worry what was this going to turn into a homicide the next day. And all the cops on the scene, when that happens, you know who they're pointing at? Sergeant Cannon. He was on the scene. <laughs> Sergeant Cannon was on the scene and he left and said, no arrest. You know how yeah. long it would take them to give me up? About yeah. 15 seconds, you know what yeah, I mean? 90%. So I yeah. always made the right decision. So I didn't have them pointing at Sergeant Cannon. Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's a tricky call. But you know what? Uh, listen, initially she did say that he hit me. Uh, that, I'm sorry, that she did say I hit him. And he said, well, she was going to, to get my attention and the phone hit me in the face. So he was almost covering for us. So in the initial part of that interview, because if you watch that whole thing, you're almost like saying, well, he's the primary aggressor. But then later on, they find out that there was a call that said that he struck her 
yeah. that's when they called the police. But again, they, they really pressed her. They, they separated them. They put her in the back of the car with the air conditioning. She calmed down because she was really, really upset in the beginning of the, uh, when the police first got on the scene. But if the whole body cam footage, if you look at it, I think those cops really tried hard to get it out of her to say, listen, and you know, she was apologetic for the whole thing. He was almost like a devil in disguise. I guess you could call it, you know, cause, uh, as it turned out, he more than likely was the one that killed her 15 days later. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in, in in the video, he did some things that Bill and I, you know, noticed. He was almost like uh, a little too uh, cooperative with the police, which was kind of a little bit of a red flag, you know. Mm -hmm. So there, there were some things. But listen, we call that Monday morning quarterbacking. Uh, yeah. If you could look at something after the fact, you could point out all the things. But I don't think that those – they actually pulled out the, the statute of the law when you have to make an arrest on a domestic violence uh, situation. They read it from their phones. They went over it with the boss, and they decided to separate them. That was an unfortunate decision that was made. Maybe it would have changed things. We really don't know. It's 15 days later. But, uh, but if you could look at a different angle, how, how do those officers feel now? I always think that. Yeah, um, they're sure going to live with that, aren't they, for the rest of their lives? Yeah. We're second guessing them, but they're going to be second guessing themselves. Um, and and I, I always look at that because having been there myself, sometimes for the grace of God, you could have been in that situation when you've made a decision, and it could have come back and and bitten you. And I do feel sorry for those officers because if it, yeah. if it was just they turn up, they spent two minutes with a two minutes with him and and gone is one thing. But from what you're saying, they've tried their best. Um, yeah, they really spent a lot of time with them, Steve. They spent yeah. I think the, the, the whole tape is over an hour, and they actually checked in Brian to the hotel. There's the, the video right. goes on, and he goes to the hotel. He they called ahead, they said, you know, get a room for this guy. And when they got there, they said, I called you earlier. This is the guy that's going to be staying with you overnight. So, I mean, listen, it's 15 days. If it was the next morning, then I'd say those guys would really be, you know, second guessing himself, but it was 15 days later. I don't know. Uh, it, it, there's a, probably a lot of other things they could have done. Maybe checked with the family back home and said, do you want to put your daughter on a plane and get her home? You know, something, something to that effect. But listen, it, it turned out the way it turned out. And uh, I don't know. I just feel that those guys in New York, Bill, you, you can attest to this as well. In New York, would they have gotten that much time? I don't think. No, they, they would have never gotten an hour of time to yeah. decide what to do. It would have yeah. to happen probably in, Five within or ten yeah 10 minutes 15 yeah. minutes i think you know? it'd be the same here and it would have been an arrest I, I, I would imagine yeah diane wilson thank you so much for the five dollar super chat maureen walsh you're 100 right they did find gabby on the 19th however red white and bethune spotted that van on the 27th of august and that gave the timeline as to when they thought that uh, gabby was actually killed on the 27th and the autopsy lent credence to that when they uh, said that she was dead for three to four weeks once they found her. But thank you very much reminding me that she was found on uh, September 19th. You know, guys, we're going to stay on for a little while longer, but I, it's so great to have Stephen Keogh here, very knowledgeable guy. One thing we want to re remind a lot of you folks listening, one of the big differences between uh, crime fighting in Great Britain and crime fighting in the United States is the prevalence of guns in the United States. And the amount of guns we have is like off the chart. And in, in London and most European countries, there's not the prevalence of firearms. So we have to approach everything uh, believing that there could be a firearm involved. 
The other thing is, is that I would feel naked if I had to walk into somebody's horrendous buildings without a firearm. And I don't know how you guys do that in London when you go into some really bad buildings and yeah. you're not strapped. What do you carry, a shillelagh? What do you carry? I just think we're tougher. <laughs> well, I, I got to ask Steve a question about that because, yeah, that, that strikes me too that they don't carry firearms. But we just had uh, a few days ago, actually, the day before Thanksgiving, we had two police officers shot. They got a call, man with a gun. They saw the guy that fits the description as they approached him. He got the gun. Uh, I don't know if he had it secreted in his jacket, but he fired some shots. He was shot. The two officers were shot. Everybody survived, thank God. But if you're not armed, then you get a call, man with a gun. I mean, how do you handle that? Do you go get a gun or is somebody sent with a gun? How does that work, Steve? If someone's got a gun, we've, we, we, have, we do have armed officers, but they just it's not us. So you, you would get, they would come in armed response vehicles. Um, but I've got, I've got to be honest, right? So since I, I knew I was retiring, I, I went on to LinkedIn um, and I've started networking on LinkedIn. I've got, I'm in with a lot of law enforcement officers from the States. Um, and I've started to see the posts they put up about how many police officers are shot. And although we're not armed, police officers dying in the UK, thankfully, is quite rare. It's like every couple of years that it might happen. I'm seeing it almost on a weekly basis. Uh, some form of law enforcement officer in the States is getting murdered. Um, so... Yes, all right, we don't carry guns, but I feel much, much safer than than you, you, you probably do. Um, so, Well, you know, Steve, uh, this has been one of the worst years in the United States nationally for the death of police officers, line of duty deaths. Right. And a lot of that has to do with the whole defund the police, the disrespect for the police, and that was encouraged by uh, a lot of people. And I think that's one of the reasons cops have to second guess themselves two, three, four times before they protect themselves. And they're second guessed all the time, not just by politicians, but by the media, yeah. uh, by by everyone. So it's making it, you know, it's almost like they've tried to ruin the most honorable profession uh, on, on this earth. And they almost, they're trying to ruin it. Joe Murray He's uh, Joe Murray wants to interject himself again. He woke thank you, up. Thank you for the 499 super chat, but he says, leave it to you gold shields trying to second guess the white shield cops who did an amazing job. Joe, we're, we're not second guessing. We're just, no, I thought that they did a great job. I, I, yeah. I got no problem with what they did. I really don't. I said, that Le right leave it to the attorney to try to create doubt on what we're trying to do. <laughs> trying to, get to create beyond a reasonable doubt. He's trying to yeah. do it, but, uh, Joe Murray has his own podcast called Allegedly Guilty. And uh, we support Joe. He supported us for a long time. And uh, uh, he, he's got another 499 chat, so I'll have to read what he said. Keep sending them in. I'll read what you said. We white shield cops at Allegedly Guilty. Support the job those cops did 100%. Shout out to my pal, Paul Redding, who is a cop in London. <laughs> Joe, you know, I was talking about your performance yeah, no against the London Bobbies about 20 years ago. How did you do in that fight? I know you were a heavyweight. Did some London Bobby lay a left hook on your jaw or what? My money's on Joe. I don't know. He's got, he's got a history of knocking out cops. Yeah, that's right. No, but only detectives. If the guy was a detective, he would have probably knocked him out. But I don't know what, what happened there. You know? Good man, Joe Murray. Good luck with the show, Joe. You know, Steve, it's funny. Uh, besides... Uh, what we cover to be a very serious matter. You have to have humor in these shows. 
And that's what yeah. cops cops are all about. Cops are they, you know, you could stand over the most horrendous things. We've all both Phil and I are 9-11 first responders. We have to deal with all the memories and the health problems from that. But you know, you have to be able to have a sense of humor about it, or yeah. else uh, what's if, the if anyone looks at my channel? <laughs> I've started I've started doing these lives um where I'm just sort of I'm just I'm just I'll just go on there. I've no idea what's gonna happen. And I'll just talk to um, my subs and we just end up spend most of the time laughing. And it's a serious subject. Of course, we're talking about murder, um, but you've got to have a sense of humor, haven't you? Well, who's this guy? I never see. Do you know who that is? He seems like he's got a much shorter haircut than you. <laughs> and I don't want to be in the box with that guy. And was this, this one, was this, a, you know, was this, this one article? really annoyed me, right? So um, this was a reporter who went to my book and thought, all he could come up with from my book, like, my, it's literally the first book has ever looked at how scotland yard investigate murders it's the first one of its kind it goes right behind the scene and it goes from um crime scene to court it goes through everything and what he took away from my book was one little section where i talk about how how many murders are solved has gone down since but budget cuts <laughs> i wait I put an awful lot of effort into this book, and that's all you can come out with having read it. about budget cuts. Well, know you know, you know something. Gender, don't know, but I was like, oh, come on. Steve, last orders, please. Just gave us a five dollar super chat, and he said, "Stephen, come to my pub in Manchester, and the beer is on me." So, <laughs> it, that, being, being on our show is already paying dividends. Look at that. That's good. He, Amazing. He's satisfying the audience tonight, that's for sure. Diane Wilson, <laughs> I really wish the gun laws in America and other countries could be changed. We work fine in the UK without. Uh, get a license if you want to go hunt. Uh, Julie Jackson, thank you. Nikki UK, we're doing okay. We have lots of support here on YouTube and Facebook and other friends who stayed by us. Uh, Stephen, what is the name of your show? Um, Murder uh, Academy. Um, Murder so what Academy. What 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 I'm what I'm doing is I basically I want to turn my subscribers into the most um, knowledgeable true crime fans in the world. That's my goal. <laughs> so I'm basically just teaching them about murder. Um, so it's it's uh, how we do things. There's like videos up there where you can learn different bits of murder. I'm going to be looking at certain crimes. I go on. We have a chat. We have a laugh. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it at the moment. I've got some fantastic. Some absolutely fantastic subs that I really enjoy chatting to. Um, yeah, it's going well. So Murder Academy. You know, you know what, Steve, what's the amazing thing is that you get to like speak to people from all over the world. And I find yeah. that really great, you know, because even though someone could live in London, South Africa, they could live in Ireland, they can live in uh, anywhere in the world. They come on here and we're all friends and, and we, we talk yeah. and everyone's respectful. Oh, Joe Murray wants to... He keeps dropping money, so I'll read what he said. I dropped a handful of London's finest, but I lost to Paul Redding twice. He is now head coach. He took over from Bill Sharp. So he's even dropping names from the London Bobby's boxing team. That's how guilty he feels. Quote of the night, Schmitty. Uh, Schmitty, quote of the night, Stephen. I just think we're tougher. That's awesome. Dipped in hot salted butter. There's, there's a fan. <laughs> There's a fan of police off the cuff. Maui Swift. Stephen, uh, there are a lot of knife murders I've heard in the UK. Is that true, Stephen? Yeah. yeah so uh, the vast majority of murders I dealt with were, were, were knives. Um, you can't That's get really a gun, 
but you can go into a supermarket and buy a knife for a quid a pound um so yeah knives are a real problem yeah i mean you know something that's what the look the, the over here uh in our constitution it says you have the right to keep and bear arms and that's mm. what gives us the right to own firearms and people in the united states take it as a personal attack against their constitutional rights when government wants to take away those rights and if yeah. you watched the riots across this country in the last year and a half you understand why people choose to bear arms because the government did not protect the people and that's why the whole uh, constitution gives you the right to protect yourself because when government refuses to protect you here I am. I, I'm running for office. <laughs> when government I feel refuses, like I've been dragged into a political show here. You know you, something? You, look, I... I not politicians. What's going no, but on? Stephen, you know something? As I said earlier on the show, police work and politics go hand in hand. And that, at least in our country, it's there's not no such country. thing. It, it really isn't. I, I, I can honestly say politics has never played a part in my career. Um Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird hearing you talk about that because we, we, we just don't get involved in it. Um, I got to add one little thing to what Billy said. We have the in the Constitution, we have the right to bear arms to protect ourselves from a tyrannic government. So that's and, and that's what happened over the last year or two when the government. What he said was one hundred percent true. Businesses were burnt, uh, property was destroyed, people were killed, and the police were being held back, which is completely, completely uh, not justified at all. And then yeah. we had this. Uh, defund the police movement that came out of the uh, the riots that started from the George Floyd incident. And as the more steam it picked up, the higher crime went, the higher the murder rate went. I mean, Chicago, one city in the United States, they have weekends where a hundred people are shot and maybe a dozen or two are killed in a weekend. So That's think about that. It's really, and, and it's just keeps going. I mean, they're busting into all of these high end stores over the last week or two. Uh, I think it was in California. Uh, they they destroyed a Nordstrom. It was like eighty people got together. They uh, mobilized off of social media. They went in. They just wreaked havoc. They stole all kinds of crap, and then they ran. You know, and then they did it. They were going to do it again. They went into a Home Depot to just steal the tools, the the sledgehammers and the crowbars to smash the cases and stuff. And you know, who knows what's going to happen with that one? So as much yeah. as that uh, politics, we try to stay out of it, but we get pulled right into it because uh, that's who controls the police departments in all the cities in the United States. That's just crazy. Uh, it really, yeah, I, 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 yeah it's, it's completely foreign to me. Yeah. Um, the politicians do just do not get involved in our policing. Um, and that's the way it should be because yeah, no, let, let them do what they do and we do what we do. You're 100% no, he, right. He, he should hear some of the, the antics that the local prosecutors are pulling in the New York area. I mean, there was a time about two years ago, all in the five boroughs of New York City, all the prosecutors got together, all the district attorneys and said, we're not going to prosecute marijuana crimes anymore. We're not going to uh, prosecute urinating in public, all these low level crimes. And then uh, Pettit Lawson, you know, shoplifters, they're not going to press. And it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And in some of the areas, stores are forced to close down because they're being cleaned out. You know, uh, mm. in San Francisco, they had all the Walgreens that were in an area. They, they, they closed them down because they were pilfering them and they wouldn't charge the, the same thing. The prosecutors in that area, they wouldn't charge. So 
you know, the, the petty crimes. And I hate to get political, but it is what it is. This is where yeah. we're you know, poli- in our country, policing and politics is really unfortunately goes hand in hand. Maui Swift, thank you so much for the 1399 super chat factual breakdown. Last orders, please, comes from Andy the Gabby Cabby. Andy Good the man, Gabby Andy. Cabby, great man. Thank you for the $5 super chat. You know, we're at an hour and um, 18 minutes, and I think we got to sort of wow. start giving our final uh, goodbyes. And, uh, Steve, I just want you to promise that you'll come back on the show. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah and I, I feel know, like I've got so much more that we could talk about as well. Oh, oh forget about it. You know, Liz, first of all, Phil and I are big bullshit artists, so we could talk <laughs> We could talk for hours on any we topic. Love to talk. We, <laughs> love, we talk. love to talk. No, I, no, we know our stuff. Believe yeah. me, we both know our stuff. But, you know, the more you do this, the more you want to talk. And it's uh, – I, I think that – we're pretty entertaining too, to tell you the truth. You know, people we come should back. collaborate on that Adelphi case again with Steve. You know, yeah, that, I mean, that's a very, very. I, I really have to really read up on that because yeah. I've seen so, there was a, a guy um, who was from um, a uh, cold case society. I forget his name now, but he did an excellent YouTube breakdown on that case by himself. Right, and I can't think of his name right now, but he he did a really good job, and I watched his presentation and that was basically all i knew about i didn't read documents and that's what you really need to do uh yeah dogs dog is spelled backwards bill you trash talking a lot tonight blaming the biden administration increasing murders and calling the community affairs office a cop who doesn't want to work are you trying to impress steve no not at all i believe firmly that the democrats have destroyed this country with their (laughs) anti-police uh philosophy and you know that's my opinion and they they're the only ones that have been behind defunding the police no one else every city in the united states the crime is out of control is run by democrats sorry you 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 wouldn't be saying any of these things if they defunded police and crime went down would you i mean no i don't think i would be at all and community affairs it was a half a joke and half serious they're not they're not wearing those light blue jackets because they're jump they're running into buildings you know (laughs) <laughs> going after gunmen trust how me how many college did they make Tell yeah exactly exactly so you know enforcement unit no, they're not and, and you know they yeah they they well they used to call them the hug squad or you know they they yeah. hug people stuff like that's fine we need people to do that yeah. but they, you know. they, they, there's a spot for them i mean they need you know they right. have their uh they have their position in the police department they're right effective at what they do 100 surely, surely hey, look, you it, invite it, one of them on one day and you can have yeah yeah i should invite a community affairs officer and he'll say you got us wrong you know what we do <laughs> and i'll be like well, yeah let me know what do you do you know I'm sorry. I'm a sarcastic mofo, and uh, <laughs> you can look up mofo if I, I I cleaned it up a little bit. Yeah. But uh, as I said, I, I say I said this to my cops. I say it to my audience. I'm not for everybody. You know what I mean? I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> and you know, you got twenty three thousand people that have, have acquired your taste. How you doing? Yeah, right a little bit, you? a little bit. But you know something? Oh, I, I, I'm gonna. This is freedom of speech, and this is my this is my freedom. Of speech, you know what I mean, and uh, someone just wrote, feel? "Let's go, mofo." <laughs> How did you feel I when when I left the police? It felt like I could suddenly be me and talk about things. Exactly. In in the police, you've got you've always got this thing on your shoulder. You can't say that. Yeah, no, you're 100 percent right. I, I felt I felt free for the first time in my life. 
But then when I went to the subway station and realized I did not know how to use a, a Metro card. Because I always used to just show my shield and they'd let me in. I didn't know how to enter the subway. I really, felt you like could retire. They aren't retired, too. You don't even yeah. need that. You yeah, now no one pays for the subway. They just jump right. the turnstile. And it's, I just, that's what I do now. I just jump that's the turnstile. That's one of the other things that they stop prosecuting the five boroughs, going through the turnstile or, or not paying your fare on the subway. They don't, I bet they'd prosecute you, you if you did it, though, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, you're right. They probably would. They probably would. <laughs> Marilyn, I got to read this. Since some people are giving me a beating and criticizing me, I got to read this from Marilyn Mineta. You boys are awesome. I love and look forward to every show. Now I'm hooked. Happy holidays to all of you. I love listening to you guys. Marilyn, that was the question that I answered before. She asked about Summer Wells if she was, uh, she she said that she felt that there was an accident by the garden and she asked about the swimming hole. That's the uh, the, the comment. That's the uh, from the chat. And you know, Marilyn, Marilyn, come, come, come to the Murder Academy as yeah, well. He's trying, to st- he's trying to steal our subscribers more. right in front of our face. You see that? <laughs> cross pollination, Bill. It's cross pollination. Right. Marilyn, thank Don't you so much. Marilyn. I hope it's yeah. you didn't just make that nice response because Phil's Italian and you're Italian. But uh, hey, I appreciate, I appreciate it. Anyway. Rothound, thanks for the six ninety nine super chat. Really good synergy, fun show. You know, sometimes I just rant. You know, and you know, that's what this is good for. You know. Come, come join me tomorrow morning with coffee with Cannon, and where I have a coffee cup, but I don't really drink coffee. <laughs> that, that's that, that's the soft, the quiet, a calmer bill. That's right. Know, something happens after 4 p.m. That's right. I'm, I'm much calmer. Anyway, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the show. And as I said, you have an open invitation. Send me an email. You can come on whenever you want. You know, cool. uh, maybe, maybe we'll do a, a show with you on uh, a high-profile murder or something. And, yeah, I uh, love that. I'm really good. I've enjoyed yeah, this. Good. That, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it, it's been great. I and I, I wish <laughs> I wish you could buy us a beer, but you can't. <laughs> He's well, gonna I be think... getting free beer from our show. That that guy. That's right. You always got invited in Manchester. Go to my, go to my pub in Manchester. I'll buy you beer. <laughs> Here what comes the was that? Bill now. <laughs> That's right. All right, guys. I, I'm pretty I'm, sure at the beginning of the show, you did promise to fly me over at some point. As that, well. That's right. And, oh, that. by the way, guys, they say, put on your helmet, get in the game. Here I am. I'm getting in the game with my helmet. <laughs> my mom's uh, helmet. All right. I, I, even though we're, we're going way too long, Phil, last, last comments and we got to go. Real quick, last comments. I just want to make a point about, first of all, Steve, thank you for coming on. It was great to have you. We got the perspective of what goes on across the pond. I think basically we were parallel and same stuff that we do, just a little bit different with the wording, like you said. But you made a point real quick about sometimes we're on the scene of something. We might look like we're kidding around. We know when to be serious. When we're dealing with family, they just went through a tragic loss, especially in a murder or a missing person case like Summer Wells. We don't kid around. We do what we have to do. There are times when something might appear to be funny or something, and, and we we just to get through it, we do uh, have a quick laugh or something like that. But this business is serious business. Murder investigation is serious business. Uh, you're you're speaking for the victim, and you're trying to get justice for them, and that's nothing to be taken lightly. I never did. I know Bill never did, and I'm sure you never did. Uh, but again, to get through it, sometimes uh, we were on the pile at Ground Zero, and we're able to crack a smile here and there uh, at times. So it's just part of life. It's the only way we get through it. Yeah. yeah Steve, f- final words. What was it? God bless the USA. Is that what you just said? 
I'm not quite sure that's what I was going to say. Old <laughs> Britannia, I think I was going to say. <laughs> now, so, listen, boys, it's been an absolute pleasure. It really has. I've enjoyed it. It's been great. So, folks, on behalf of Police Off the Cuff, uh, Real Crime Stories, I'm Bill Cannon and my co-host, Phil Grimaldi. Uh, we thank Steve Keogh for coming on the show. Good night, everyone, and be safe. Cool. Stay safe, everybody. Take care. One episode.